Oh, God, uh, what a joy it is to uh, serve you and serve your kingdom. Uh, as we gather in this place today, uh, in this time of year, uh, my prayer this morning is that uh, we fix our eyes and our attention on you, uh, that we set our minds on things above of what you are trying to speak to us uh, as a way to change us from the inside out. God, uh, this season uh, is so much about giving uh, gifts. And, uh, and so, God, I just uh, pray that you would lay it on people's hearts to uh, practice generosity in their gift giving uh, to people that they love and they know, and also to complete strangers who they may never actually meet. And so, uh, so God, uh, I also pray this morning that you would speak clearly through Amber, um, and may we have ears to hear the message that you've laid on our hearts. Uh, help it to go deep, to transform us, uh, so that we can be a light on the hill, uh, that we can point people to you. Uh, God, it's great to be able to gather in a space like this in an air-conditioned building that is beautifully decorated. But God, help us to uh, remember that um, this is all for you. This is all about you. And so may our worship point to you, uh, the creator and sustainer of us all. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Pretty good job there, babe. All right. Woo. Some hot mic. Uh, well, good morning. I'm Amber. If I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Covenant Church. It is so good to be together today. This is the time of year where we get asked one question. Uh, the most, more questions, this question is asked probably to every person in this room, the same exact question, and it is this. What do you want for Christmas? How many of you have asked that question or been asked that question already this year? <clears throat> you have kids, family members. It's kind of that time where we think about what we want or what we desire. Songs are made out of it. One of the most famous, best Christmas songs is Mariah Carey's. All I want for Christmas is you. One of the worst ones is, all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth, my two front teeth, my two front Who sings that? Like, it's a mouse or something? Oh, it was like a kid? Oh, sorry. Well, <clears throat> sorry. Cute kid. Uh, but we, we think about this question. We ask it. We want to know what people want for Christmas. And I think we all have this in common, that there are things in our lives that we want, things in our lives that we hope for, things that we desire. I think it's a commonality of the human condition to want or desire more. And this time of year, it is just brought, brought to light. So I think we all share that. And what I want to ask you this morning, whether you are in sixth grade or you are in high school or you are one of our older generation, what is it that you want? If someone were to ask you that question, what comes to mind? What want? What hope comes to mind? I mean, it could be as simple as, I really want the new AirPods, or I really want my marriage to get healed, or I really want an answer for my health diagnosis, or I just really want John to get the announcements right. I mean, what is it? What is it that you want for it? And so before we go any further this morning, I'm going to give us just like 10, 15 seconds of silence for you to offer that to God this morning because he's the one who hears you and sees you 
and is here. So let's just go to God and offer up a real honest moment for you and God to offer up what is it that you want. Oh God, you hear our wants, you hear our hopes, you see us. Thank you for knowing us. Thank you for seeing and hearing and holding what we have so tenderly and delicately, God. Be with us this morning as we draw closer to you. In your name we pray, amen. Well, in this Advent series, this season of Christmas, we are in a message series called Do You See What I See? Where we're looking at the story of Christmas and the characters that God chose to use to tell the story, to to, uh, announce the coming of Jesus first. And last week, we looked at the shepherds and and how they were just ordinary, everyday, um, lower rung of society people that God chose And that we all can kind of relate to that, just these ordinary, everyday people that God has a great plan, that sees our lives and has a great plan for it. And today we're going to look at the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah and this idea of hope that we talk about so so desperately in our lives. If you brought a Bible, you can turn to Luke 1. We're going to read at chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 5. The words will also be up on the screen. So let's Let's read that here. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. No, Aaron, but if you watch the Lego movie, you know what I'm talking about. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. There was another, there's another version that says they were advanced in years. And so I want to take a minute and not let this, this story pass us by. If you've grown up in the church, you've heard the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah. Um, we have a hard time, sometimes some of us have a hard time remembering names of people. And in our, in our world, our society, we give people nicknames. And uh, so for this morning, I might refer to Elizabeth as Beth. I mean, if she were Elizabeth today, maybe she'd be called Beth. And Zechariah is Z-E-C-H-A-R-I-H, which, uh, but I'm going to call him Zach, maybe Beth and Zach. I, I want us to spend a little time looking at them as real people who really existed and really lived a life that God used to show us the way. Uh, we, re- we read that uh, Zach is a priest, and also Beth was a descendant of Aaron, um, he was a priest. So she was a PK. And of any of you, how many PKs do we have in here? That's a pre- preacher kid. People grow up with pastor, parents. Okay, it's a different world for PKs. But, but uh, Beth would have grown up in a, in a Jewish home. She would have understood the laws and, the, and sacrifice and the temple rituals. She would understand all of all that went about what it meant to be Jewish. She would know the testament at that time, it wasn't called the Old Testament because we didn't have the New Testament. She would have known the scriptures. She would have read Isaiah the prophet. She would have known um, that the Jewish people were waiting the Messiah, thousands of years waiting for the long-coming Messiah. This was a part of her life. And then she would be in school, and she probably met Zach there. 
probably met in like, I don't know, incense school. I don't know. They met in school and um, found each other and then decided that they would get married. However, that happened. It didn't go down. And in that time, marriage happened right around puberty. So 13 to 18 years old, we'll just say 13 for argument's sake. They got married and the very first thing you're supposed to do uh, when you get married, well, one of the things that's supposed to happen is you're supposed to have a baby. And um, so it says that they were um, uh, childless and they were old. Now, how old were they? It doesn't really say, but we know that um, if they got married at 13 and advanced in years, it was probably in their 60s. It was probably 50 years of them being married and not having a baby. You know, we often define people for what they have. I believe that Beth and Zach were defined by what they didn't have. Have any of you ever felt that way? And if you've ever had to wait for something that you wanted so bad, isn't waiting sometimes harder by the experts who want to tell you how to get the thing you're waiting for? Like, you want to lose weight, and they're like, oh, have you tried the keto? Have you tried low carb? Have you tried high carb? Have you tried, you know, all of these diet pills and exercises? Or you want to uh, go on a, a date, you want to find a partner, and they go, oh, have you, find, have you tried plenty of fish or match or Tinder? I don't even know. Have you tried all these things? Or have you tried my meeting with my uh, cousin's uncle's brother's sister's son? Um, you, you want, you want, a, a, you want a, a, a baby. Have you tried this? Have you tried that? Have you tried all of the things? And, and sometimes we just want to say, in the waiting, can you just um, sit with me in it and not give me a bunch of advice? Friends, if you have someone who is in a season of wanting and hoping and waiting, my advice would be to just sit and listen. I have a tendency to want to fix things. It's kind of um, who, who I am, and I, I really pushed away a friend in my life um, several years ago. She lost her sister suddenly, and I just wanted to, she was heartbroken and devastated, and I just kept telling her, you, just, you need to find a church, and you need to find a small group, and, and get the kids in school, and, and you and your husband are having a hard time. And you need to get, I mean, I just had all these answers, and she eventually just pushed me away came back later and said, you know, you just, you just wanted to, like, fix it and just not listen and wait. So I just advise, really screwed it up. Um, if there's someone in your life who's in that season, maybe all they need is just a partner to just sit and listen and be present with them. Um, <clears throat> so I can imagine that Elizabeth and Zechariah felt that. You know, they're waiting 50, probably 50 years this. And in the story later on, it says that they lived in the, the hillside, hill country of Judea. And um, there's some out there that say that maybe they moved to the hill country because living in town was too much. So many questions. Why aren't you pregnant? Have you gotten a baby yet? Like, what's going on? And there was a lot of shame and disgrace for them not having a baby. I can imagine her going to the market and having to see her friends who had babies and going, it's not coming, it's not here yet, and just, it was too much. And so there's some people out there who said maybe they moved to the hillside because it just became, became too much for them. And imagine Zechariah, he's a priest, and he would, he'd go to work, and his work buddies would be like, you know, come on now, 
what's going on? Because in, in, in that time, if you weren't pregnant, it meant one of two things. Number one, that you would disgrace God or there was a sin that you had committed. But we read earlier in chapter 6 that they were blameless. They lived righteous lives. And the other thing that was there that it, uh, it was in the society was that if, if your wife could not conceive a child, it was grounds for divorce. He could leave, legally divorce his wife because she couldn't have a baby. So I can imagine his friends going, hey, is she pregnant yet? You know you can leave her and find someone else who will give you a son and carry on your name. Don't you want to do that? And I wonder if it just became too much. And then they moved out. That's what I love about Zechariah. At 50 years, he said, I'm, I'm faithful to my wife and to my call as a priest. I don't think he saw things, things that way. So when we read on in Luke 1, 8, it says, Then once Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. And 11 uh, says this, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now we read about the angel appearing to the shepherds last week. And his response when the angel appeared is, he was afraid. He said, uh, he's standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Because of your prayer, your wife will have a son. Men in the room today, husbands, what if the thing your family needs is your prayer? What if the thing you want more, the thing you've been praying for, the thing you've been desiring for your family, it just needs your prayers? See, the angel didn't come to Elizabeth. The angel came to Zechariah because of his prayer. And Zechariah didn't see the waiting, the 50 years of waiting, as a no. He saw it as an opportunity to pray for his wife. He saw it as an opportunity to walk faithfully day in and day out, even when it's hard, even when it's, it's uh, disgraceful, and pray for his wife. Hey, men, in the room, maybe today you can hear that God's calling you to prayer. What if you left here today, got in your vehicle, and an angel came to you? Or you got to work this week, or you got into your house, and an angel came to you and, and showed up and said, your prayer has been heard. What would follow that sentence? If an angel said to you, your prayer has been heard, what would follow and would anything follow? Prayer is powerful, and we see it over and over and over again. It was true back in with, with Elizabeth and Zach, and it is true today. <clears throat> and then after that, the angel tells Zechariah what he can expect about this baby John. He says that you're going to name him John, and he's going to be filled with the Spirit in utero. Even before he's born, he'll be filled with the Spirit. And he is going to be born to prepare the way for the Lord, for the Messiah. So he gets this great news. 
And, and then so we read on in there, uh, 23, it says, When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months she remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. The end. Right? Happy story. The end. She got, they got what they prayed for. They wanted a baby. Don't you just love that? Or do you hear that and go, man, I hate happy endings. Where's my happy ending? I've been praying for this thing forever. I've been hoping for this thing in my life forever. Where is it? Why isn't it here? I'm so glad for them. You know, sometimes God can see things for us that we don't see in ourselves. I'm so glad the story didn't stop there. We ask that question, God, what about me? Where's my happy ending? We like to tie things up in a nice ribbon. But God doesn't work like that. And one of the coolest parts of this is the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah and this baby that they had waited for is found in what comes up next. And I was uh, listening to a pastor preach on this the other day, and so cool. I had not heard this before, and super, super great. Okay, so if you move on into uh, verse 39, this is when Mary comes to visit Elizabeth. She says this. It says, At the time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She even knew that it was the Messiah in Mary's belly. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. If you take notes, you might want to write this down. Because I think if Elizabeth were here to say, today, I think she would say, what you are waiting for isn't the point, but the pointer to the real promise. What you are waiting for isn't the point, but the pointer to the real promise. So, so don't miss this, okay? So Elizabeth is a preacher's kid. She knows about the Messiah. She's heard about him the, her whole life, thousands of years. Everyone's been waiting for the Messiah to come. Everything is pointing to this moment in time. And, and Elizabeth's got her wish. She's got her baby, the thing she's wanting, praying for. But John is inside, in utero, in her womb, and he's saying, I'm not even the baby you were praying for. You've been praying for a baby. It wasn't me. And when, when Mary walked in and Jesus is in, in her tummy, he leaps for joy. And he's like, that's the baby. You thought it was this one. It's really him. All of creation. We've all been waiting for that baby. John, in her belly, in the womb, was pointing to Jesus. And you know what John also did? In the wilderness, when Jesus came, he pointed to Jesus and he said, that is the lamb. That is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
from the womb to the wilderness, John points to the promise. You ever wonder, like, life kind of seems like a, like a big weight. You know, you're, you're in school, and you, you, you can't wait to go from middle school to high school, and then when you're in high school, by senior year, you're, like, so over it, and you can't wait for college because it's going to be so much better. And then you get into college, and you can't wait to graduate and get a real job. And then you get a real job, you can't wait for a raise, and you can't wait for a retirement <laughs> so that you can, like, not work anymore. Um, or you can't wait to get married, and then maybe you'll have kids, and then, and then you'll watch them grow up, and then you'll send them out, and then they'll come home, and then you'll be like, I can't wait for them to go out again. And then you can't wait for them to have grandbabies. I mean, it's like all of life is just kind of waiting for this next phase of life. Or we hear this uh, diagnosis for our health, and then wondering and waiting for answers. And the answer is not what we hope for. And it doesn't bring comfort. You ever wonder why life kind of feels like this giant like weight? I think because it is. Because it is. Creation, since the beginning of time, waited for this moment for Jesus to come. It's been, it's, it says in a, um, it's been groaning it's in pains of childbirth up until the present time, that, like, that idea of like groaning, like, oh, when is it going to come or when is this going to be over, right? Like all of creation waited for Jesus to come. All this way, like what is the point? I had someone ask me the other day, what is the point of all this? Why do we, why do we go through all this? Why do we suffer? What is the point? And it's because it is, there is hope. There's hope for today, and there's hope for the future. That we are promised we are not alone because God is with us in the wait. That we have each other in the wait. Hebrews says, let us not consider how we may, uh, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together. Don't give up when things are hard, when you feel sad or lonely or scared. Don't give up meeting one another even more. Some are in the habit of doing this, but Encourage one another. Come together. Be together. Because we're all together in this waiting. As you see the day approaching. And what is that day? What is that day? That is, that's the hope. That's the day when the wait will be over. When all of the promises that God promises will be fulfilled. When all of them will be fulfilled. When we see that what we were waiting for wasn't the point but pointed to the promise of Jesus. It says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, amen is spoken to us by the glory of God. All of our yeses are in Christ. That's a promise that God gave us, and we know that God is good. So if it, if it is good, it is God. So whatever it is that we are in, we are not alone. So we're, we're encouraged to, to set our hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Setting your sights on whatever it is that you think God doesn't see and trust that God will fulfill, that all our yeses are in Jesus. All of the, the waiting won't be in vain. Now, I know that there are probably some of you in this room thinking, like, 
it's easy for you to say that you're not in my shoes. You have no idea what it's like to long for this thing in my soul. And you may be right. There may be something that you are going through that I don't know, but I know what it's like to want and wait and desire a relationship, love from a father. I know what it's like. And we're not alone. We all have something we're waiting for. And so for you, what is it? What are you waiting for? Are you waiting to give your life fully to Christ? Are you waiting to, to step in to a, a relationship with Jesus who can give you that hope that we've promised, that you've promised to us in Scripture? Are you withholding generosity to this, this church, to this body, to this community, thinking like, like maybe something will change or what my, maybe my financial situation will change when we're promised that through our generosity, our, our faith will grow, we find more hope and purpose and meaning? What are you waiting for with your spouse? What are you waiting for with your kids, with your job, with your life, with your spiritual well-being? In the wait, we can trust that God is with us and that we are not alone. We can trust that God is good and God is faithful. And when we ask the question, God, do you see what I see? Do you understand what I'm hoping for? Why aren't you fixing this? Why aren't you making this right? God is saying, yeah, I see what you see, but I see more and better. And I promise, I promise all of your hopes and promises will be refilled, revealed through Jesus. In the meantime, while we wait, while we journey together, while we not give up meeting with one another, we can worship. We see this theme all through this story, the, the fear that uh, each of these characters will experience when they are met with this, the angels in this proclamation. Fear, uncertainty, and then we see worship. And worship is what can get us through those moments of highs and lows. We have access to it. And it is so helpful. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to uh, give us just a few minutes. I'm going to ask the ushers to, to come forward, our musicians to come forward as we close out our morning with musical worship. As we offer up this morning our hopes and our dreams, to our loving God who promises us to never leave us or forsake us, who gave us each other, the church, who the Holy Spirit empowers each and every one of us, who gifts each and every one of us to be a blessing to the world. If you are in this space today and you don't understand that, I pray you receive that good news. I pray you receive the knowledge and the understanding that you are a gift. And that God sees you and knows you. 
and wants to comfort you and walk with you, whatever it is you're going through, that you can put all of your faith and hope and trust in him. And then as we sit in the wait, that way we can worship with our song, we can worship with our, with our silence, we can worship with our giving, we can worship with our service. What a gift it is that God has created each and every one of us unique in order to do this. God, we, we're here this morning. Uh, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for, uh, for just knowing what we need. Thank you for giving us this time and space to gather together, to spur one another on, to encourage one another. God, when we give of our gifts, of, of our, our money, our finances, we know that everything we have is yours. We know that no matter what we give, we can't outgive you. Thank you for abundantly blessing us for this church, for this community. As we give this morning, Lord, we ask that you use it to further your kingdom. We know that you are working in us and around us and through us. And Lord, I ask that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hands to do the work you've called us to. So that no one can sit alone. That we can be the hands and feet you've called us to be. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.